So you love going to church, you love reading your Bible, and so do we. But there's something you need to know. Everything you've ever been taught about your Bible, everything you've ever been taught in Bible study, in Bible school, has been based on this foundation. There was the beginning, God created the earth. Then 4,000 years odd, then the cross. Then 2,000 years, that's the church age. And then comes the end. And so, we have Old Testament and New Testament. This is our timeline. And this is what we base all Bible study upon. We can prove it. How do you prove it? Our Bibles are separated into Old Testament and New Testament. That means there's an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. But it's wrong. And we can prove it. And unless you can prove that we're wrong from the Bible, that must mean we're right. And we are. Right, so, tell them. So we all know the story about Cain and Abel. You can go read about it in Genesis chapter 4. We know the story where Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, both bring a sacrifice to God. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice but rejects Cain's sacrifice. Ever wondered why? So, it's an interesting dynamic. There are only four people on earth. We know that Abel brings the sacrifice of a lamb and Cain brings the sacrifice of the fruit of his labor. So four people on earth and Abel is tending sheep. Now, it's not like they're eating meat because only in Genesis chapter... Nine. Nine, does God give them permission to start eating meat. So they're not eating the sheep that Abel is tending. And yet... He's not going to start a butchery, is he? He's not going to start a butchery. No. There's nothing really to do. Yet he's keeping sheep. Yet Why? he's keeping sheep. Why? So go have a look at Hebrews chapter 11. It clearly says that Abel had faith. Which means that Abel had to have had revelation. He had to know and understand the plan of God. That God would send his own son to be the sacrifice of the Lamb. The Lamb of God. We know him as the Lamb of God. And that by the shedding of his blood our sins would be forgiven, and that because of our forgiven sins, that resurrection would be possible. So Abel brings the sacrifice of a lamb, and it, is, and it is accepted by God because he is proclaiming the plan of God. He is proclaiming his trust in the plan of God, and he is proclaiming his trust in the power of the blood of the lamb and in the power of the resurrection. Now the question is, what did Cain do wrong? Well, you see, Cain still brought a sacrifice. He brought it at the right time. And interestingly enough, if you go check the scripture, he brought his sacrifice first. And yet, he was not doing it according to what God had instructed and according to God's will and his ways. He brought the fruit of his own labor. So he did something like what God said to do, but a, his own version of it. So if Hebrews says that Abel had faith, then ask yourself quickly, what do we consider to be faith? Mm. We have to believe in God. Yes, that's what Cain did. But Cain didn't have revelation of the fact that he had to put his trust in the sacrifice of the Lamb. God sacrificed his own son. He didn't put his trust in the sufficiency mm. of the sacrifice. And, and he didn't put his hope on resurrection. And faith for us is our hope on resurrection that God has provided for us. Mm. We call that the hope that is set before us. Mm. Right. Now we have and we take it for granted. But what is it doing 
right in the beginning of the Old Testament. The Passover hasn't even been instated yet. Yet Abel knows the gospel. This is the point we're trying to make. If this is the basic system on which understanding the Bible, explaining the Bible, understanding God, or Bible study, or formulation of doctrine from the past, mm -hmm. for the last 2,000 years almost, this started just after the apostles, was based on this system, and it's all wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it's going to lead us to understanding the plan of God, not the way that God intended us to understand His plan. And we are going to respond to the wrong plan, because we're understanding it wrongly, and we're going to respond in the wrong way. So we want to draw your attention to, let's make sure we understand the plan, God's plan, from the beginning to the end. Now we're going to continue in this slip to prove to you that God makes His plan very clear from the beginning the very of the Bible. So you try and prove us wrong that Abel knew the gospel. Now, how do we know God's plan was the same from the beginning? He proves it beautifully. So if you go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, you'll find the scripture that says, A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. Beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture, especially if you're considering the principles of marriage and the sanctity of marriage. But what's it doing in the very beginning of the Bible? What's it doing in context to Adam and Eve? Neither Adam nor Eve have any parents to leave to be joined to one another. Does Adam have a dad, a father, or a mother to leave? No. This is said... When there's literally only two people on earth. There's only them. There's no one to leave. In fact, we don't even know if they understand the concept of mother and father yet. And yet it's stated just when Eve is formed and brought to Adam. So why is this significant? What are we trying to show you? Well, the fact of the matter is, we know that in the book of Revelation, the Lord comes back for his bride. He leaves his kingdom. He leaves his father to come back and claim his bride, and they become one. Beautiful. And I wish we could spend more time looking at the prophetic significance and beauty of that. But the point is that God, from the beginning, makes his plan and his intent known. That in the end, he is going to come back for his bride, and they will become one. And this is how we know that the plan of God has been the same since the very, very beginning. Remember, what we want to prove to you is that the linear timeline on which they're based, the way they, they approach the Bible, is not correct. It's erroneous. Mm. So, they divided the Bible into an Old Testament and a New Testament. Then they came up with the idea of an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Mm. And that led to people teaching, even today, that those two covenants are not the same. Mm. It's got nothing to do with each other. Mm. Now it leaves us with asking the question, how did people in the Old Testament receive salvation? How were they saved? Now, they'll tell you, well, according to the law, they had to keep the mm. law. Mm. It doesn't explain how they saved. No. And we want to prove to you that we have to discard the linear time yes. uh, frame, the timetable, so that we can understand the plan of God properly. We already proved to you that right in the beginning of Genesis, God is making his plan very clear. The bridegroom will come back for his bride. Right now, through this series, we're going to prove to you that people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, 
they were saved by the same gospel. Had to be. The same Lord, the same Lamb on the cross, the same cross, the same death and resurrection, the same blood, same gospel. No other gospel. We can prove this. Mm. And remember what we said. If you cannot prove us wrong, it means we're right. Mm. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 14. Mm. Abraham, the father of our faith. Mm. Abraham, remember, uh, God calls him in a time when nobody knows God. Mm. God He's calls only him... man with faith on earth. So remember, we remember that um, Nimrod gathered all the people around him. They started building the Tower of, of Babel. God scatters the people by confusing their language. And the next thing we know is God now calls a man whose father was an idol maker, Abraham. Okay. So nobody knows God. The knowledge of God has been lost. God is going to reveal himself to Abraham and he's going to walk with Abraham. He's going to give promises to the seed of Abraham. So in this scene, we see that uh, Abraham has gone out to make war against some kings. Mm. He's been victorious and he's returning and he's going to meet with someone that's called the high priest of God. This is Melchizedek, the king of Salem of peace. And they're going to meet in the king's valley. But here is the mystery. So everybody talks about and knows that Abraham brings a tithe. Mm. Well, to the high priest. But we're going to focus on what is it that the high priest is going to serve Abraham. Do you want to tell them what is serving Abraham? Melchizedek serves Abraham with bread and wine. So he's serving him the Lord's Supper. We know that the Lord's Supper is going to be instituted when the Lord is sitting down at the Passover table with his disciples just before he's going to be crucified. And he says that we should do this in remembrance of him, the bread and the wine. Mm. And it all has to do with what? The forgiveness of sin, salvation and resurrection. And the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant. The king of peace. Mm. Melchizedek, the high priest of God. It says later in the Bible that he has no parents. Mm. In Hebrews chapter 7. No, no father, no, father no, no mother. mother. And then we'll see in the book of Hebrews that it's going to be described and explained that Melchizedek is the high priest. This is Yahushua, the son of God. Many years before he's going to die on the cross. Many years before he's born. Exactly. Many years before he's resurrected. Now we know that out of his victory, out of his obedience, and out of his suffering, he becomes the high priest and the king of kings. Mm. He receives all authority. Yes. Yet here, he is coming to fellowship and minister fellowship with Abraham and minister to Abraham as high priest of God already. And they are going to partake in the Lord's Supper together mm. as a remembrance of Him. <laughs> New Covenant, folks, right there in the story of Abraham. Mm. Remember, 
If you can't prove us wrong, then we are right. So remember the timeline that we looked at at the beginning, where you have the beginning on the one furthest end of the timeline, mm. the linear timeline, and you have the end or heaven at the other furthest end of the timeline. Now this will just not do with the information that we've just given you. Mm. And so what we are going to do is present to you the proper way of doing biblical studies and interpretation. See, the Bible says that Yahushua is the beginning and the end. So it's just logical that you cannot have the beginning and the end at the two furthest poles of everything that exists. Here's the beginning and the end. And then furthermore it says that Yahweh God is without shadow of change. It says that he's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So if we're his body and heaven lies at the end of a timeline when everybody would have had to die and then been judged so that he can have his body, then doesn't he have a body now? Have you ever thought about that? If he's without change. See the problems that we've been staring at. And I know that these things must have had occurred to you in the past. So what are we going to do about this? So we're going to change the timeline. Instead of a linear timeline, we're now going to look at a circular timeline. Where there is no beginning nor end. This is because God himself does not exist in time and space. Mm. We all believe that God cannot be fathomed. Mm. That is bigger than we can ever understand. Mm. Yet we want to so badly put him into a frame so that we can understand him. We want to understand that God exists outside of time. It's a matter of fact, time only exists on earth. Mm. We're the only planet in the universe that has that problem. Think about it. I'll prove it to you again. <laughs> so if you look up, up at the stars, we all know that you see the star twinkling up in the sky. But because of the concept of light years, you might be looking at a star that's no longer there. As a matter of fact, that star could have been um, extinct or burned out, ceased to exist thousands of years ago. And you're still looking at it. Mm. Time is only applicable on our planet. And time is only applicable as long as we keep it. So God exists outside of time. But now we're going to show you that what else exists outside of time. So Christianity has a very clear concept of the centrality of the cross. We're going to show you that the cross itself is outside of time and at the center of all time. This is very important. Because if the cross existed 2,000 years ago and the mm. Son of God died on a wooden cross, and we all believe this, then 2,000 years later, the wood has rotten away. And yet... And the blood is no more. And yet here we are, saved. 
through the cross, washed by the blood. A cross and blood that existed 2,000 years ago. So how were we saved by that cross? So that person right there actually proved our point for us. <laughs> so here's the question. If you believe you're saved, how did you get saved? You had to have gone to the cross. You had to have been washed by the blood because it says that we have been crucified with him so that we could be resurrected with him. So how did you manage to time travel and get to a cross that existed 2,000 years ago? To do that, you would have to leave our realm. Literally, what you did is to get saved is step from one realm into another realm. You left the realm of created earth and stepped into the realm of the spiritual mm. or the realm of the kingdom of heaven. This is what you did because you are basing your confidence for eternal life on the fact that you went to the cross and was washed by the blood of the Lamb. Mm. Now, if you can believe that 2,000 years after the cross, you have access to the cross, then why is it so difficult to believe that somebody living 2,000 years before the cross would have access to exactly the same salvation? You see, on the linear timeline, things cannot exist before they happened. Mm. That's the problem with the linear timeline. But if you take time and space out of the equation and you turn your perspective to see things from God's reality, mm -hmm. then we can start to also interpret the Bible properly, understand the mysteries in the Bible, and we can start to remove all the contradictions. Now in the next clip we're going to show you how faith itself the very substance of faith depends on understanding outside of time. God outside of time, the cross outside of time, and you outside of time, because this is how you got saved.